0: Hello and welcome to the Seiko Vision Podcast. Today we'll be talking about how eye care professionals can engage their employees. We're here today with Dr. Danny Clark, CEO and owner of Clark Eye Care Center based in Wichita Falls, Texas. Dr. Clark has owned and operated his highly successful practice for more than 20 years now. He is also president of Modus Practice in Motion, a coaching and consulting firm for fellow professionals, his goal at MODIS is to improve the lives of professionals through their practices rather than letting their practices dictate their lives, while at the same time improving the lives of all those involved in the operation of the practice. He attributes part of his success to his use of open book management and other unique methods that engage doctor team, engage the doctor's team members. Dr. Clark, welcome to the Seiko Vision Podcast.
1: Thanks, Sonia. appreciate you having me. Great.
0: Right, well, let's jump right into it today. Um, Today's topic, employee engagement. In your opinion, why do so many eye care practices struggle with engaging employees?
1: I think that starts with finding the right people. Uh, So many people I see are uh, busy in their practices, seeing patients all day long, and the easiest thing to do is hire somebody with experience. What we do is, I don't even, I look at experience kind of as a red flag. I really want to hire somebody with the right attitude and personality, And not only get the right people in the practice, but get them in the right positions. So I think engagement starts with finding the right people in the first place and being willing to work with the attitude and personality that you want and then train that skill.
0: Awesome. What are some of the things that you look for when you're hiring employees?
1: Yeah. So one of the things is that we do that's kind of unique is when we interview, we don't hit them with a lot of questions as much as we really want to get into a conversation we want to know what really drives them and makes them excited and one of the interview questions i really like to ask and probably one of the main questions i do ask because a lot of it's just conversation getting to know the person and what gets them is interested in life is that i say you know at the end of the day your last job when you went home uh, to your significant other what's the one thing that you thought of in the business that you were in that made you really excited when you got home? And we kind of look to that, whatever they focus on and think about during their day, we try to find projects for each employee in the business to really engage them more than just doing their day-to-day job. In my practice, you know, we all have, I do, and employees have, we all do somewhat of a mundane day in, day out, daily grind. And we try and engage people just like I do. I really like teaching people and coaching people. And when I'm with the patients, I think of it with me. I can teach my patients and coach my patients with their eye health. Same thing for our employees. Instead of just them answering the phone, is there some kind of project in the business that needs to be done that aligns with something that they really like to do? I actually had an employee one time, and she really loves organization. And her thing was, this is back in the day of paper charts, she loved organizing files and managing files. And so it came out to, she was helping us pay bills at one point. And she was the one person where she really got excited about organizing the bills to be paid. Crazy to me because I hate that. But for her, that was engaging for her in particular. So my tip for people is just go beyond the job. Think about the person in Think about what makes them excited about life and bring a little of that to their day.
0: That's, that's fantastic. Do you think that there are certain you know, traits that you look for that employees are just gonna tend to be more engaged in their work? Are there certain values that you tend to look for? Uh,
1: yes, I would say so. I think uh, compassion for people, caring. I think we all know that and would say that being in healthcare but really at the end of the day, what is it about? And, and we look kind of at our core values and our mission statement, and, you know, what are we there for? And really it's, it's to help people in our practice, like I said, live, live better lives, but also for those patients. And so I feel like if, if we can spend 45 minutes to an hour, just in a good conversation with somebody um, with, during an interview without just firing questions at them, That's what I want them to bring to my practice, not just do a pre-test and just ask patients a lot of questions, but engage in a conversation during the process. So that would probably be the main thing is, are they comfortable enough in their own skin to be able to carry on a good conversation while they're doing tasks? But really, it gets down to kind of the deep core beliefs of ethics and doing the right thing and the golden rule. All those things are really important to us.
0: Okay, great. So after you you know bring on a new employee, um, you know other than you know giving them tasks that you know that they might think about when they mm-hmm. go home, what are other solutions that you employ not only maybe at your own practice but others that you've consulted with to keep employees engaged?
1: Sure, and um, if I may, Sonia, I want to back up just a minute. I want to add something to this that when we're actually. Um, looking for people and we want the right attitude and personality we also we won't interview people unless we get a disc profile and a myers-briggs so we do personality
0: Mm -hmm. behavioral
1: testing on employees i think that's critical it gives you an insight into really kind of um how they think and what they're interested in not only for would they be good for our practice but that next step of where would we put them in the practice would they be better at the front desk as a tech or as an optician and for us, that's a critical component, because if we may have the right person in the practice, but they're not in the right position, then mm-hmm. that, that can be an issue as well.
0: So are there certain um, personality types that you look for to put in certain places?
1: Absolutely. So just for example, just think about if somebody, you know, in a DISC profile, dominant, interactive, steady, and compliant. So think about optical, they're in sales. They're more of the high eyes. It's the yellow of the disc profile. And so um, as a tech, they're a little more like front desk, but they're not as interactive. They need to be able to work with a patient one-on-one, whereas the optician is selling glasses, has to be more engaging, more outgoing. And we really find that if we get somebody with a really high eye as a tech, it tends to create potentially a few problems because they're a little too overzealous. Whereas in the optical, if we have somebody who doesn't have a high eye, they're not as proactive as maybe they need to be engaging the patient. Um, We even go as far as to a tech has a certain personality profile, but a scribe has a little bit different personality profile where they're not quite as interactive. And the reason is because when I'm the doctor seeing the patient and there's a scribe entering data, they can't just put in their opinion during that exam. It needs to be They know their role is to sit there and not say anything, and to find a person who's willing to sit there and do their job, and we may engage them in a little conversation, but for the most part, they're not having the conversation. If somebody uh, likes that, to do that, they're usually not the interactive type. So it's really interesting. You can break it down. I will say, we don't not hire people because of profiles. We don't necessarily hire because of profiles. It just really helps us to get the right people in the right positions, not only at the start, but if we find out somebody's a tech and they would fit better and we messed up, we can use that also to educate. Instead of you're not doing well here, I'm going to shift you to optical. Mm-hmm. It would be a training piece where I can say, look, from personality, we take responsibility for this. When we hired you, we felt this was the best position. We th- and, and then make it a positive for that transfer
0: mm-hmm that's awesome i've never heard of personality tests being used in an eye practice yeah. that's really great so let's jump now to you know after they're on board yes. um, you know what do we keep them engaged
1: so our you know I, i've always been I'll, I'll go back a little bit my history back about 15 20 years ago i started in practice 22 years ago in about 15 years i was always working with um employees and hiring and firing and I got tired of the mantra or the day-to-day kind of I'm just an employer of people and, and it just didn't excite me and I kind of really hated it as the manager of the business as well and one time something shifted in my head and I had a paradigm shift and I thought you know I don't want to be an employer of people I want to be a developer of people and I started thinking that if, if I could figure out how to better mentor and develop people within my practice Then, even if they leave, and we do have turnover, we do have people leave, um, but for the reason, a positive reason, maybe that we were, they're moving up in their career, and we offered them employment during, while they worked at our practice, and if I can make a positive impact in their lives, wouldn't that be great? And so, what that takes is, is to develop people is probably the biggest key where we utilize tools where we take a little extra time out of our practice where we don't have just enough people to do the task. We, we find that especially when we teach other practices, the number one issue in practices is people don't have time. Their techs don't have time, the doctors, the opticians, the front desk. And so everybody kind of runs around like chickens with their heads cut off. We give, we hire and maybe hire what you need plus one And everybody has a little time to kind of run their area of the business. We feel that's very important, and it allows us as leaders to spend one-on-one time, instead of just somebody asking me a question and saying, here's the answer, we can sit there and talk a minute and say, here's how I think of this. And then over time, they can start to kind of think like we do. And that's really powerful because instead of them just getting an answer from me as the leader, they're able to develop their own mindset, their own thought process on, yes, it's my vision, but then they can go answer those questions the next time or a few times later on their own, already having my approval without asking for it, and that really empowers people and engages them more. But I would say probably time is the reason why a lot of people can't get this in place because they're just making them work all day and not thinking. hmm
0: So it sounds, I mean, just in hearing you talk, I think at your practice, culture is super important. What would you say that other practices could do if they don't feel like their culture is in a place where they want it to be, that they can do to improve their culture?
1: Well, uh, I would say the one thing is probably is that, um, I just said time is an issue for all practices, but also for owners of the business, I think that we as owners have to take time to kind of uh, intentionally create a better culture. So that's getting the right people in, getting in the right positions and then empowering them and engaging them. And I think that if um, the owners are only working in their practice and they're not taking time aside to be leaders and visionaries and work on their practice, I don't know if they can really have a good culture because that would come first, giving themselves time to find the right people, develop the right people.
0: Do you think it's important to have a set of core values that you can look, you mentioned compassion is one of the right. core values that you look mm-hmm. for, but do you have or have implemented core values at your practice?
1: We have. We worked um, a few years ago and implemented core values, and we do use those day in, day out with our team, um, even on uh, training issues or uh, if there's something that didn't go right with the situation, when we hire, we discuss with uh, the employee our core values. And then um, from a new hire to if there's something that needs to be shored up in the practice or with an employee or relationships with in, amongst different employees, core values is, a, is a, no pun intended, but a core component of that. Awesome.
0: So what are some ways to improve each team member's decision-making skill?
1: Sure. And, and to improve their, each team member's decision-making skills, I think, um, again, I'll go back to the time spent with an employee. So just to use an example, I used to have people come into me, and I had all the answers. And I probably liked having all the answers, but they would come to me and say, what should I do about Ms. Jones? And I would say, do this. And so I think the number one thing is the mentoring and the time spent to not just give somebody an answer, but to let them into your brain a little bit as a leader, whether you're a manager or an owner of the business. Um, When people come to me and ask, what would you do if we have time to sit there for a minute to talk about it? I would say, well, at first I would say, here's what I would do and here's why. Then the next time they come in, I might say, what would you do? and ask them, and see what, and if it's way off from my vision, then we'll talk about it. Over time, people start to really, they're smart people we have, and if we just give them the opportunity, I think that's probably the number one thing, is that if we spend time to mentor them, and to let them understand why we're making the decision, allow them to then start making their own decisions, then as the owner of the business, we don't have to be there as much answering all the questions, and that probably is the number one thing, what I would say is to take the time to mentor and engage your people to be better at their own decisions, but those decisions are kind of pre-approved by you because they understand what your vision is, they understand your ethics, they understand how you make decisions. Awesome.
0: Well, I tell you, that seems like a really good segue, actually, to open book management. Is this- Thing that I know that obviously you're very passionate about. You not only practice at your at your own practice, but you consult on it as well. Could you tell us a little bit more about open book management and how it increases profitability?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'll start back a little bit, go back a little in my history. In that I was always, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I've always been really big on, or 15 years ago, developing people. And so I want to say that we started out having a pretty engaged team, and I felt that man, this is, we really have great people and we probably had the best uh, people in the country is what my thought was at the time. So when I go back a few years, six years ago, 2010, came across um, open book management philosophy. And what I feel that, because we had a lot of things in place, culture-wise, I felt, but what open book management really did, it gave me a, a tool, a systematic approach to even more engage our people And we like to say we have them engage thinking, acting, and feeling like owners of the business. So it really was the tipping point, I would say, instead of just it wasn't the answer because we had a lot of things in place. But it's more the tipping point that really allowed our business to take off. And just to give you some examples, we want our people to think, act, and feel like owners. And the goal is to get them uh, a better team culture, profitability improvement, and cash flow improvement. So the first year we implemented, we focused more in open book on the, at first at least, we're looking at profitability. Um, we, we focused on cost of goods and expenses. We didn't look so much at top line revenues, which most of us, that's all we know to do is how much money can we bring in. We looked more at our costs and our expenses. The first year we implemented open book management, we went up 1% in collections and 47% in net. and what was just amazing about that is here is me at the time, probably we had 15 employees and I'm trying to micromanage the whole financial aspect of the business. My people only know what we're collecting. They don't have a clue what all the costs are. One of my little methods of trying to get them engaged in knowing more is I would write checks and I would put the $30,000 one on the top and I would give it to somebody to take up. So they saw that we had a lot of costs going out. Mm-hmm. But they didn't really have a clue about the whole concept. So when we started Open Book, we started sharing our all of our revenues, our cost of goods, and even all of our expenses down to where we have our profit before tax, we call it. Now, it's not open that's crazy. We don't. They don't know what the doctors make. All the doctor's information is what we call below the line on our profit and loss statement. But by allowing our team to be engaged in helping us with costs and expenses, It not only really gives, it gave me at the time 15, now we have 22 employees. We have 22 people looking at the financials every week in what we call a huddle, team huddle. They're looking at it constantly. It allows me as the owner not to have to focus as much. I've got everybody watching the business. They call it our business, not his business. And it's just so exciting because just by allowing them to do that, they're more engaged. They feel more empowered because now they're saying, look at this business we're running.
0: So you've been doing Open Book now for going on seven years? Correct. Is that right? That's right. So after your first year of um, incre- you know, increasing collections by 1%, and you said increasing the bottom line by 47%? That's right. Did I get the numbers right? You How did. How has it gone since then?
1: So since then. So the first year our profit went up big. Um, our uh, revenues, you know, collections, money in the bank, The next year we were up like 12 or 14%. Um, And then so since then, our profitability has continued to rise. And I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but I want to say it's something like um, 60% um, since we started, 60, 70% um, on the revenue side. And on the profitability side, I think it was in the mid-60s percentage-wise. So it went up um, a lot profitability that first year. And then now the profits gone up a little bit percentage wise more than that, but we've also grown that top line. So the percentages of the net over time kind of leveled off. We can't consistently keep squeezing that too far, but because we grew our top line revenues, the profit dollars have gone up significantly Um that's something you got me thinking of. I need to I need to look a little more into. Is what is the what are the dollars of profitability increase? I was looking at percentages,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but quite quite drastic. And, and I will say, uh, the the bigger thing what my thing was before we started Open Book, we had pretty good profitability. We had I thought great team culture, um, but I really was looking at cash flow. And at the time, I would sit there on you know an eighty thousand dollar line of credit. I would have fifty thousand in the bank. We would have a bill due for forty thousand. I was we were always on time, but it was always tight. It was hard for me to leave the practice on a Friday, say, because uh oh, what if I don't get money in the bank? So we always were okay, but it was like you know, money came in as that check went out, and it just barely made it. Um, the first well, since we implemented open book, I think our cash flow has gone up like three hundred and fifty percent. And that's because we had some debt to even help us run the business operationally with lines of credit. We eliminated those. Now I have extra cash in the bank, which makes a big difference, peace of mind. And that 350% is true. And it was basically with all of the things equal, how much money do we have at the end of the year? And just the cash available. So it even allowed me, now I kind of wish I wouldn't have, but I was tired of going to banks to get money. And then probably three years in, I had extra cash. I bought it. I think I bought an endothelial cell camera with cash. It's like 40 or 50 grand just because I could. And um, that felt really good. It was just proof that we had really arrived, I guess, if you'd say, on on being able to better manage the financials of our business with the help of our team, because me doing it on my own was not working well.
0: Mm -hmm. How did you celebrate that with the team?
1: On which part? The... um,
0: not on just the the profitability part the whole- you were we're succeeding as a team
1: sure yes absolutely so what we do is i didn't mention this part of it but part of our open book management is that we end up we play a game called the great game of business is the open book management philosophy that we play and we teach and part of that is we do monthly incentive plans with our team so you know we're always looking for to drive profits so we do monthly incentive plans where we get them able to just say an optical, we want to increase interreflection percentage or whatever, or the number of interreflection sold or the number of multiple pairs sold. And we all kind of thought we have targets we want to focus on. But if you think you have a big goal and you're looking at profit for the quarter, then what are the smallest uh, things you can drive? And maybe that is multiple pairs. Maybe it's number of eye exams, whatever it may be. Well, we play little games around those and it can be a whole practice base. It can be just the optical department has a game that month. The techs have a game and the front desk. We could do two groups together. We see some strife at times between the front desk and the techs. So we'll play a game just between those two groups. And everybody in our practice for the last six and a half years has played one mini game every month. And we haven't missed. We've been really diligent about this. So that's fun for them. It engages them. And the reason why they're interested is they win a prize from it. It may be a drink run where they get Sonic or Starbucks. It may be something like a pedicure, a manicure. Um, It may be um, front row parking space that doesn't even cost. And so those are fun games we play called mini games. But going back to the main part of your question, what gets them excited and engaged is we have a quarterly bonus system. So we pay bonuses based on the profitability of the practice quarterly. So they want to drive increases on these mini games and little things that they're focused on per month. And if you imagine we have uh, three different departments in our practice, if we're playing, then that means in in any practice you're going to play between 12 and 36 mini games a year. You're tweaking little things throughout the practice. That's fun and engaging. They each have their job They've got their uh, day-to-day routine. They each each of our employees has a project within the business, whatever that may be. That's something that they kind of goes right up their alley of what they they like to do. Just you know, even outside, you know, maybe they're scrapbooker and they help us with the mini game design because they're games. Um, and then they're playing a mini game, so everybody's focused. And it goes up to the quarterly. Then we look at the profit before tax. And the way that works is we see our profit. So we've got our revenues minus our cost of goods, minus our expenses. And you have a profit before tax. That's before doctors, by the way. So again, we aren't sharing the numbers of what the doctors make or each employee makes. And then um, we have a certain amount of what we call threshold. So on your profit and loss statement, you have there's certain things that don't show up, like the uh, principle of a piece of equipment would show up on your balance sheet so we have the profit before tax for the quarter minus the threshold which are balance sheet items and in our workshops we do workshops I can explain to you in a little bit that really we teach uh, a step-by-step cookbook how to implement this philosophy that we do but it allows you to then have a profit left over and then we pay a portion of that to team bonuses and so any employee in our practice, if we hit our numbers, they can earn, they'll earn between 1% and 15% of their base salary in bonuses um, on the, per quarter or annually, but paid out quarterly. So that really engages them when you put gains to it and you put a dollar amount of increase their uh, base salary by 1% to 15% by the end of the year.
0: Wow. I would say so. <laughs> 15%, right? I know. Nice we do not always at
1: 15%, but that's yeah. the goal. And that's where we're headed toward. And
0: anyway. sure. so tell me more, give me an example of what is a mini game?
1: Sure. So a mini game is, and I'll go through, let's just say that we talked to multiple pairs, for instance. And so we want to sell, so patient comes in, and many of our practices say, you know, I don't, we sell pair, patient a pair of glasses. Well, why don't we add on and give them, hopefully they buy a pair of sunglasses. So then we want second pair. Well, what about if they need a computer pair? So multiple pairs. So by one patient buying multiple pairs. Um, a mini game specifically may look like, do you remember the mountain climber game on the presses is Right? That kind of ages me. But, mm-hmm. um, you yeah, know, I
0: remember. You, I'm right there with you.
1: you. you and, um, or a thermometer. Or whatever it may be where you, you can imagine um, different types of games you could do to where you're marking things off and, you know, how many did you get this month? And that's what it is. So there's a something visible for people to see. So we'll build a game. We'll name the game, say it's called, you know, Multiple Pair Madness because it's March Madness right now. Um, and they'll have a game and they're looking at the board. And then so, and maybe it's in the optical department. So this is outside of patient viewing. It would be in the optical. And maybe, for instance, there would be a game. And let's just say you wanted to have Uh, your goal this month was to do 30 multiple pairs. So you usually do 15. We want to do 30, which is actually a pretty big gain. But say you want to do 30, and it's March Madness. So then you build a scoreboard, and maybe it has a basketball goal with little basketballs. And every basket made counts just, say, for one point, say, and that's one multiple pair. When 30 baskets are made, we hit our prize. And maybe it's preset at the first of the month. Maybe that prize is... Um, a Starbucks drink run or something simple. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. A lot of these are we'll do a little more, like maybe it's a pedicure um, that costs a little bit more because that mini game actually has a value to it where you're going to gain. Some mini games are based on number driven. Some we're trying to change behaviors, you know, get patients back quicker. But that's kind of how you design a mini game, and then it's pretty simple. You just track how many multiple pairs we had this month you put them up there on those little basket basketball through the baskets and you move them around and then by the end of the month they win the prize and that's what they get. The next month you go to another mini game. So you're looking for really kind of pain points in the practice, things that you want to improve on or change over. Uh, even a thought may be something like um, increasing your or decreasing your accounts receivable balances. And maybe that's your front desk team along with your insurance person could work on that mini game. So it's really, it's, a, it's an unlimited number of things. It, it takes some creativity. Um, and I'll credit our team over time has been very creative. I'm not the creative one in the bunch. But it really allows me as the owner, they're engaged with these games. They're driving this business, helping it without me having to micromanage this. I'm not involved in that process, which is real exciting when you can run a business and the owner and have to, having to do everything.
0: Wow, that's awesome because I was thinking, you know, do you run out of ideas for mini games? But it sounds like no. And so well,
1: not yet. Yeah, but that's pretty tough. So, what we've done is we do um, some half day introduction and mini game workshops for clients. We do the full day implementation workshop where we'll help practices really engage in, in one day. They learn every nut, the nuts and bolts, and we give them tools and follow up coaching and really to implement and engage in the full great game of business. And um, anyway, so that's kind of what we, we do. We have a I don't know where I was going. We have a website. Um, it's called experiencemodus.com, and it has information about where we're going to be next and as far as um, information about our workshops. But one of the things we've done on there, one of the benefits of coming to our workshop is we have a website set up that's members-based, and there's not a fee for it, but once people have come to our workshop, they get uh, they have access to our mini game sharing page. So we have different one certain clients, and part of the the fee only to be on this website is to be able to um, upload the mini games that people play, and then everybody gets to share. So we have a pretty vast resource of mini games now over some time. So we don't always have, because the dry goes well on the creativity sometimes. And that just helps people be more creative by looking and sharing other
0: people's mini games. That's awesome. So um, it sounds like I've definitely unlocked some keys for employee engagement. How would you say employee engagement affects retention?
1: Uh, vastly, I would say. And, you know, I've, I've come to realize that retention... There's so many practices that we work with and they'll have employees there and they'll say, my employees have been here with me 20, 30 years. And I don't necessarily look that as a positive because the retention and, and I'll put the word retention to the side for a minute. Just how long an employee has been there doesn't necessarily equal great culture. And what we've found, and I wouldn't have said this four years ago, I would have thought, Oh, we're going to keep people longer. But what we're finding is We retention absolutely, but our we hire millennials, and a lot of the people that we hire are female, and we've had a few that stay home with their kids. So we we had one just come back the other day, and she'd stayed home with her kids. She's like, "Ah, I miss it here. I want to work here. I wish I could, but I'm you know she's so happy staying at home with her kids." But our uh, lack of retention now is more life changes. We developed uh, one of our employees. She was an assistant manager. She was worked at the front desk, and she had a really cool opportunity to be able to run our independent school district, was starting a marketing program, and she had a marketing degree, and they recruited her to run this marketing program. So that goes back to my people development. We developed her. She was so excited about learning what she did at our practice. She's taken that to the next level. Well, we lost her, so we didn't retain her, but she was with us for like five years, and we were so happy for her um and she comes back and thanks for you know helping develop me my skills um so our retention now what i've learned is that we have i would say we only have my manager uh, she's the only one that's still with us since 2010 we've changed out but what's amazing about it now is we have people come and go and maybe they're there 2 years or 5 years or whatever it is um it's not that we couldn't keep them forever necessarily, but because of the way we develop people, we're pretty okay with people coming and going. But the culture has maintained. That's what's phenomenal is that if you come in and we just actually, interestingly enough, were listed on um, the small companies in entrepreneur magazine for the top company cultures in America in the this issue's current issue of Entrepreneur magazine. And what's so exciting is we have some new people. We've had like I said, the majority of our people have been there less than five years, but that culture maintains. So I think it's detrimental for us to feel like the longer we keep people, the better culture. It's let's get the right culture, and if people come and go, that's okay. That's just part of us as a leader having to manage that process.
0: Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on Thank that. you. Very cool. I heard
1: that news? Yeah, I'm real excited for our team. <laughs>
0: Um, are there any other tips or advice you would, um, give eye care professionals when it comes to employee engagement?
1: You know, one thing that I've kind of learned to, uh, really help people with and to go back and, and look at kind of what made me successful in developing people and how was I able to run a business without taking a lot of my time there now, because I'm only in the practice. I see patients about 15 hours a week. Management time is probably an hour a month. And so I'm really not at the practice much. The team runs the practice. But what I've what done, and I'll say my number one tip is the development of people and getting them engaged as you as the leader with your manager, whether you need to develop a manager. By the way, when I hired a new manager, I spent about two hours a week, one-on-one for about two years. So she could learn my thought process, how I think. So one is spend time with your team. Um, you need to be very clear. So it's clarity. I would say one thing is be very clear. Over time, one thing I've been is clear. You can't be wishy-washy. It's what do you want as the visionary, and this is the direction we're going. Be consistent. You you can't be, like I said, wishy-washy. You need to be clear in what you're doing, but then consistent over time. And then um, you give them the time. So you one one-on-one mentoring your people. And what that takes is for you to slow down a minute, step back, not smell the roses, but be able to maybe go and spend time on your business instead of in your business. But I didn't do it. I did it because I'm naturally a visionary mindset. I like looking at the future. And this was not by design, but looking back, what was very successful for me is I needed to spend time with people to develop them for me, but it worked out that that's also what they needed. So number one tip is take time to Give yourself a little more time to help develop your people.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Clark. I will tell all of our listeners that we are very fortunate to have Dr. Clark partner with Seiko Vision and the Seiko Elite Rewards Program. And through purchasing Seiko's premium lenses, you can qualify for Dr. Clark's consulting with a great game of business and open book management at your practice. that concludes today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about open book management and team empowerment and how it can improve your practice's growth potential, watch Dr. Clark's webinar at seikovision.com forward slash resources. Thanks again, Dr. Clark. Thank you.